hi Graham. It's it's so lovely to speak to you in 2022. It's it's been a while since uh, we la- ran our last Women in Payroll podcast. And how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. It is amazing that we're in February already. Um, 2022 is is not hanging about to get to get started, and uh, therefore I think it's great that we're we're back recording uh, the next season of uh, Women in Global Payroll. And delighted today with uh, with the fact we have Amber with us. So Mel, why don't you tee up a little bit about Amber and, and tell us what to expect from the session? Yeah, so hi Amber, we have Amber Visconti, who is the Global Payroll Manager for Sweaty Betty. And funny enough, I got my Sweaty Betty um, card through this morning. Um, so automatically thought of you and, and looking forward to today's session. So uh, welcome Amber. Thank you. Thank you, Mel. And thank you, Graham. I'm delighted to be with you today. So, Amber, you've got a really interesting history. I was took the liberty of having a look at your LinkedIn profile and it's it's payroll through and through. But perhaps if we if we just start a little a little further back, um, strong language and linguistics uh, background. So have you always been sort of global in outlook? Where does that language focus and global outlook come from? So I, I was brought up bilingual. My father is Italian and my mother is English. So I was brought up in Italy, speaking the two languages and sharing my time between the two countries. So, yes, I think I've always had a little bit of a global international outlook in in my life and I've always studied European languages as well right from the age of primary school all the way up to university. So how many languages do you speak today? (laughs) I've slowly lost some of them over the years but obviously fluent in Italian and in English and I've got a good knowledge of Spanish as well. Fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm not sure either Mel or I is qualified to test either of those languages, but I'm sure it's incredibly useful in a, in a global payroll context. So one of the things that's been interesting as we've been having these conversations is how different people come to a payroll uh, role and um, what brings them to the, the profession. So you, you did a, a degree in, in languages and linguistics. You were studying in Aberdeen. How do you go from there to payroll? Mm -hmm. Like the majority of people, I fell into payroll, but my languages were a key skill and one of the reasons why I was selected for the role. So it was actually a a few weeks before Christmas when I just finished university and I was looking for my first role. And myself and my housemates were all without a job. And it was coming up to Christmas and we were like, this is going to be a bit of a quiet one for us. And I got... um, offered an interview for a payroll administrator for a company in Aberdeen. So I went and I met the finance director and what he liked was the knowledge of my languages. He was looking for someone that could take on non-UK payrolls, someone that was going to be comfortable in dealing with other cultures and dealing with documentation in other languages as well. He said he'd previously employed people that had a background in UK payroll and just struggled a little bit to feel comfortable with the legislation mm-hmm. and the ways of working of other countries. So he offered me the job there and then. I still remember he stood up, mm-hmm. shook my hand and said, welcome to the team. And the best thing ever, he gave me a cash advance before Christmas. So we were able to have a bit of a party for Christmas. <laughs> Wonderful way to start. I wonder if that was easy for him to organise with his payroll function at the time. <laughs> oh, yes, those days it was quite easy. You had a safe, didn't you? You had a little box with money in it, quite easy to withdraw from it. 
Yeah. So you you started there, and uh, so it was all expat, or you were doing some UK payroll and the expat payroll. It was a mix of it. So we had some expat, we had some domestic as well. So in in Aberdeen, it's mainly oil and gas industry. So it's mainly individuals that are working offshore on platforms. So I was looking after the North Sea and part of Singapore as well. So it was yeah, a mix of international, expat and domestic. And that, that's, I mean, that's right in at the deep end. Um, you know, we've talked to a few folks who started in a single country payroll uh, job and then added their, their skills and grew their role to cover multiple geographies. So what, what do you recall most clearly about that time and about your first learning experiences in payroll? Were there any standout memories or experiences from, from those early days? I remember finding my um, knowledge of maths really useful uh, with, without any doubts. And I remember my languages coming really useful as well about being comfortable picking up documentation from the Norwegian tax office and being able to translate it and take my time and not feeling over, overwhelmed by it. And without any doubts, I think that's when I started really building a passion for payroll by getting to know, getting an insight into different cultures and how they manage their taxes and their social security. Because mm. it is such an integral part of the employee experience and the work environment. And I think certainly over the last few years, the the payroll industry has, has stood out um, in terms of the, the impact it has and the necessity of the function on that employee experience. But I guess if you're if you're offshore or or overseas, it's even more important that you can rely on the people who are looking after your payroll to to make sure that you're legally compliant in the country that you're in and that you're paid what you you should be paid. Um, were you talking directly? Did you have people um, on the ground advisors that you were working with in those countries? So how did you, uh, other than translating the tax documents from the, uh, the Norwegian authorities, <laughs> how were you um, how were you running payroll internationally at that point? So we actually used to run it in Excel spreadsheets. Hence the so, um, math think, skills. I understand now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no software things, doing it for you. Yeah. Things were a little bit simpler probably then. So we could actually get away with processing a lot of it on, on Excel spreadsheets. We had really close contact with the tax offices. So obviously the tax offices have a department that looks after uh, international companies and looks after the foreign individuals working abroad. So I had a visit over to the Norwegian tax office and I remember we had the Dutch tax office coming over to, to spend some time with us and auditing us and just double checking that my knowledge was, was correct on that side of it. And of course, you always have your tax advisors that if you need to, you will, uh, uh, you will rely on. I do remember with Norway specific, it's a very unionised country. So I remember the union rep took a very um, interest in the payroll and how we were operating it and making sure that we were fully compliant. And and so there's there's two things perhaps that I'd like to just follow up on that that first role and Mel perhaps coming coming to you on one of them the 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 transformation of the industry in terms of technology and software has been pronounced over the last twenty years but Excel is still used in a huge number of companies for for calculating. Um, payroll and, and running payroll. I, I don't know if you have any insight on that around the yeah. world about the volume. 
we we ran a survey and this show my age now i think it's something like 75 or 80 percent of people still used excel and then we asked um a further survey because i i was just i'm such a geek i was just like oh my god that's such a high figure i didn't expect it to be that high and um so i wanted to know why because on the original survey we didn't ask so i was right i'm gonna ask again why why do people use it so much and some of them were just saying we don't trust our uh, payroll provider or you know we run it for reports and and it, but the biggest thing seemed to be lack of trust um and i think um payroll people want to get things right don't they they i don't want to say they're control freaks but they they want to be correct don't they so i suppose having the excel spreadsheet is a way that um you know you can check that everything's okay obviously the formulation's got to be correct but um <laughs> but um, um, what do you, do you sort of agree with that do you do you think people are or are you coming away more from yeah. it yes I, I agree with it and I think we will we're always still very reliant on Excel even if our payrolls are outsourced we do a lot of the calculations internally before sharing the input data and as part of our checks we utilize Excel as well just for to, to ensure that the current period versus uh, previous period variances match um, uh, make you know make sense and also if I think about global payroll and how Excel is utilized is when we need those global payroll reports, which we are unable to extract from the payroll systems. So then that's where we run the reports from the various payroll systems or we um, access them from the payroll providers and then we utilise Excel to create what we need. I was just going to say, because I think um, on that same survey, there were some people that used like over 100 uh, different ICPs. Uh, again, an amazing figure. I don't think that's the, the regular um, sort of situation. And um, I think that was the only way that they could sort of keep up with what was going on, obviously, with different systems or different providers with, with using Excel. Yeah. It, it, were you given any Excel training as part of that uh, or when you came into the role of training in the basic tools or was it very much pick it up as you go along? P- pick it up as you go along yeah. without any doubts. Yes. So I, I fell down a rabbit hole a little while ago, I think Excel had a, an, an anniversary, a milestone anniversary. I can't remember how many years it's, it's been around, but there were a few articles uh, circulating. And I fell down a rabbit hole with one of them where they'd taken a random sampling of Excel spreadsheets across different businesses. And the error rate in, in, in Excel can be quite frightening um, when you think about the number of decisions that it drives. And actually, it was, a, it was in the early days of the pandemic, wasn't it, Mel, that the UK had an issue that something had been loaded into an Excel spreadsheet and it ran out of lines. So they miscounted the number of people impacted by the early days of COVID. But anyway, those days are long behind us. Um, so from there, Amby, the, the other thing that I, I wanted to pick up on that early thread, so that the HR director or the, the, the director interviewed you, hired you on the spot. Um, how long did you stay in that role? And uh, how was that a, a, a or was that a formative and learning experience? Because you then stayed in, in payroll and stayed in the sector. Uh, yeah, I, I, said, I said with them for a couple of years, and I really enjoyed my time. I learned everything there was to learn uh, from it. And when I felt it was time for me to move on and to continue developing, I did have a conversation with my finance director and explained what I was after. And I remember we, we came to an agreement, uh, which was, he said, stay. I fully agree. I support you in wanting to move on because I can't offer you anything goes here. Stay and complete the tax year end and I'll give you a little bonus at the end of it. <laughs> So, um, so that was that, and then I moved on to to my next role. Right, and and I think it's interesting. You know, do you have a view? 
looking back now and, and, and Mel, actually, do you have a view on how long someone should spend in their first job in payroll? And I know it will vary by the individual and the complexity of the job. But at a time when we're reading headlines about talent turnover and difficult to find the skills, it's just interesting to think about objectively how long is the optimal amount of time where you learn it and you're effective but then you may be looking for new challenges or to grow i think um so from our recruitment days and it you know may have changed but i think you're looking at somebody that's been at an organization for at least a couple of years um and you know to at least learn the basics and I think one of the uh, when we interviewed Natalie, her her boss actually said to her, "You can't learn any more now. You need to go for another job, and here's the job for you." And I don't think that happens very very often, but I do think you know you really do need to to stay at least a couple of years. And I think if um, somebody had only stayed for six months, I don't think that's necessarily viewed uh, in the in the best light. I mean, obviously, there's different circumstances, but yeah. What Amber? Do you have any thoughts at all on that? I agree in the sense that I think you need to give it, especially with payroll, you need to give it a couple of tax years. So you need to be able to see the whole cycle from start to finish so that you're able to actually learn and experience each stage of the payroll. So your first year, you're always trying to find your feet, making sense of things because it might be a new payroll for you. It might be a new company. They've got slightly different ways of doing things. And by the second year, you feel a lot more comfortable. So you're becoming a lot more um, acknowledgeable on it. And then maybe it is time for you to learn something new and the company doesn't have the scope for it. So you just mm-hmm. move on. And I think it's important that they learn like the different cultures for different organisations because every payroll is different, isn't it, in every company or industry. So I think, it, you know, if they can experience a different industry, obviously they're going to learn new things. Um, but obviously those people that have got a good, you know, a good un, a good person there, they don't necessarily want to lose them, do they? So um, it's hard, you know, the, the talent shortage, I think at the moment, is really difficult for employers. I think it, it creates an opportunity for um, folks as they move through their career and understand what's made them successful to think about how do they build that for the generation that comes next. Melana, you, you spend a lot of time thinking about payroll as a, a profession, Amber will we'll come to some of the functions that you've led and the, the teams that you've run, um, but actually thinking about how you create an environment where, we, where people can grow and thrive and develop new skills and get exposure and maybe start doing one kind of payroll and then expand to another and, and expand to another. So I think it's a good challenge for the industry as we think about developing it as a profession. You know, Zenny and the, the team in Sweden looking at the academic routes in through college and then how you think about professional development in role and growth in role. So Amber, back to you. Um, you, you. You were ready to move on. It was time for the next challenge. So what did that challenge look like? What were you looking for and what did you go out and find? I wanted to get involved in more payrolls. Uh, I wanted more of a stand, standalone role. And I also wanted to get more involved in the, in the accounts side of it. So being able to see the full cycle going from, OK, you, I've processed the payroll. I created the payroll journal. Now it needs to be posted. We need to do the balance sheet reconciliations and the payments out to the third party vendors, et cetera. So I was really keen to get the overview of the of the full circle of the full process. And so I moved on and that's what I got um, exposure to, which was great. Mm. And did that, were you working for the HR team in your first role and then for the finance team in the second or was it finance in both areas? I've, 
I've always been in finance up until recently, up until I joined uh, I joined Burberry. Uh, so that's there's definitely a big difference working in finance, processing payroll in finance versus processing payroll in uh, in HR. I like them both. They both has their pros and cons without any doubts. Um, and I'm currently in the HR space. Mm-hmm. So how, how would you describe those those differences in terms of how HR people think about payroll and how finance people think about payroll? So on the finance side, of course, you know, um, accuracy and compliance is top, uh, top of the mind of everybody. And in some ways, I feel it makes it easier to look look after the full process when you fall under finance. You report into the finance manager, finance director is responsible for, for the payroll. So it probably makes some of those touch points much easier and smoother. On the other side, on the HR side of it, what I've experienced is um, employee experience is at the forefront of everything. Mm. And so all of a sudden, you've got this payroll team that's been sitting in a back room processing payroll, and nobody really knew they even existed. All of a sudden, they become front-facing. They're speaking to the customer. They're looking after the employee. They're doing training sessions, frequently asked uh, questions, etc. So it's a lot more of an active role, I feel, with HR. And actually, it was it, as, as the uh, COVID situation arose i saw some research a couple of years ago that talked about people's preparedness and contingency planning and it was quite stark that at the time those functions that reported into the finance organization felt that they had more robust and documented contingency plans and strategies than those that reported into the hr function i don't know mel if you've seen anything similar or if that strikes a chord for you yeah um I think with the with the pandemic, that opened up a whole different world, didn't it? To be honest with you, mm. <laughs> and I think um, and I think what what you're um, you're saying, Amber, about the um, the HR and finance side, that's such an interesting view. Um, we I don't think we've actually discussed this on a podcast previously, yeah. or actually I've never discussed it with any other payroll profession because or professional because um i feel like they come from the the hr side uh, predominantly and to actually understand the views because you always hear the you know the question of should they be in hr should they be in finance uh, you know payroll should it be placed in hr or, or finance and it to me it feels like an amber tell me if i'm wrong it feels like maybe it was a smoother transition in in um finance for you than hr I guess that because I came from a finance accountancy tax consultant background and training, it felt more natural for me to to have those robust processes in place and those very clear controls um, and review points. I have learned to love and really enjoy the HR side of it and the people person side of it, which before I'd never really associated with payroll. So you're now in a uh, an HR-led function, and and you came from a finance background, and you talk about the robust process and and clear controls. So that people side of it, the employee experience, um, is that more or less important these days than it used to be? Do you think? In my experience, it's more important nowadays. Um, I have changed industries. Um, the ways of working have changed as well. So it's maybe something that we've seen gradually shifting to a certain extent um, 
but it's definitely re- you know very important uh, now w- without any doubt. Mm-hmm. And I think it's we ask people the question to kind of look back and and think about their learnings and standout experiences through their career and what's prepared them for for the challenges they're facing now. Um, but it, it sounds like that broad-based financial knowledge that you have was was key, and you built on that in the first few roles to give you a real comfort factor with whether it's the Norwegian regulations or the tax authorities or the unions. If you understand the numbers, you understand the fundamentals of payroll, I guess, from from what you've said. Yes, yeah, I yeah, f- f- fully agree. You can understand the numbers, then you're comfortable, and I feel that then you're comfortable processing payrolls or looking after payrolls for any country. Mm. Um, I almost see payroll as the translation, interpretation of the legislation, like translation into a mathematical formula. Mm-hmm. So you've got legislation, which is all your words, and you just need to turn it into a mathematical formula. So it doesn't really matter what country it is. It's always going to be some maths behind it for you to be able to pay everybody. Mm accurately and compliantly and so as you as you stepped into your next role it was a bigger role um, more geographies more challenging um, payrolls to to administer Um, what did you learn or take away from that experience was it just consolidation or was there was there something new that you hadn't encountered before that 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 stands out I think the interaction with the different cultures and the different ways of working that that was definitely an eye-opener for me you can't approach your business relations or your stakeholder relations or your employees in exactly the same manner in each country. You need to be able to slightly adapt. You need to understand what the culture and what the needs are and the language slightly change and then what's what's required by the business as well. Mm. And that, that's a fascinating almost juxtaposition to the facts that the maths is universal, right? So it's, it's regulation that turns into a... Um, a, a formula that turns into a payroll and yet actually the experience of being a multi-country payroll manager is each country has its its nuance around it and and that that's something you've traveled to get exposure to or just by working remotely with these other teams you're able to absorb that yeah working remotely and spending time in country always helps as well with uh, without any doubts um, the being able to connect with the individuals and being able to s- sit with them and actually share a day work with them, you do take away quite a lot from it, a lot more than the over over the um, Zoom calls or team calls. Mm. And um, obviously, the last couple of years have been a little unusual. But prior to that, how many countries do you think you've been to for work or for, for global payroll work? Oh, I don't know. Quite a few of the ones here in, in Europe. Um, and I've been over to Australia as well, because I was looking after the Australian payroll for quite a while and over to Canada as well. So, yeah, I've, I've been quite a few different places and I always tried to add a bit of personal time to my trip where possible. Because there's who a secret. Not- <laughs> I said, who says payroll is not glamorous? Well, I was going to say it's the secret glamorous world of, of payroll, because I think, Amber, you talked about it being this backroom function um, in some organizations that that's now as employee experience becomes more important and payroll is that key touch point with the employee it's coming more and more to the front of the employee relationship but so too are the the payroll function and I, I think we quite often talk in these conversations about people who've fallen into payroll 
but now in a global payroll space or a multi-country payroll space are doing things they perhaps never would have imagined. And we, we said earlier, you started with a global outlook and multiple languages. So maybe it was always your destiny to, to visit these countries and um, payroll is the, the piece. But it, it is interesting, I think, Mel, as we think about how it's a profession and how it develops, there's a lot that's attractive about payroll as a, as a career that isn't broadly understood, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Well, I've been talking, I know I've spoken uh, to you, Graham, a lot about it, that there are so many things about payroll that people don't really realise that are glamorous or, you know, challenges. And even within the payroll industry itself, you have so many different aspects to it. You've got your marketing, you've got your sales, you've got your IT, you've got your processing. Um, You know, there's so many aspects to payroll. And I do think, you know, the the travel side does make it slightly more glamorous because I don't think if if you didn't necessarily understand the payroll function or payroll career, you wouldn't necessarily understand that 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 is available and and it is more and more so now especially since the pandemic you know the world of payroll has changed even if you process a payroll in one country that's changing you know people are uh, all of a sudden having to employ different people in in different countries um so i think the one country payroll function is is definitely you know definitely changing so amber i think one of the things that that also changes how people think about payroll is the size of the organization and as you've as you've moved through the couple of roles that you, we've, we've talked about, you've gone for bigger and bigger organizations. So um, I think at one point you're now running an organization with two and a half thousand pays or employees that you're looking after the payroll. How did the increase in scale um, stretch you or, or create new challenges? Run out of time <laughs> to get everything done. <laughs> um, I think as as the head as the headcount increases, what I've experienced is the complexity, the internal processes complex become more complex. So the smaller the headcount, you've got smaller teams working together, so you've got less touch points of the flow of information to payroll. Whilst as as the company grows, you have a lot more teams and stakeholders sending inputs over to payroll. So it starts becoming a little bit more complex in being able to manage everybody and ensure that uh, we've got clear roles and responsibilities. And with that greater complexity, at this point, have you moved into a people management, team management role? So you have direct reports, you're training people, developing the team. Is that now part of your your experience and, and career? I think at this point we're, we're sort of running a team. I think from what you've said, you're, you're covering Australia, Southeast Asia. It's quite a big geographic territory, so probably quite a, a bigger team. The biggest team I had was in my last role, which we had a team of 18. So that's uh, that, that is a considerable team to to manage, uh, to spend time with and look after the training and the personal development side of it as well. The current role I'm in, I've got a much smaller team, which I'm actually really enjoying at the moment. Uh, and it's nice to be able to have the time, the headspace to start thinking about the training and the personal development side of it. What would be some of your your tips on leading a big team in a global payroll context? What were your takeaways or your learning? I think team engagement is key, without any doubts. Making sure that everybody feels fully valued in the workplace and they feel appreciated. Uh, and uh, with that, you're going to be able to build a strong team spirit, which is key in payroll, because sometimes things go wrong. 
And when they've gone wrong, you don't have much time to fix it. And that's where the team spirit really comes in to play. And can you share some examples of what can go wrong or what to watch out for in the world of payroll? With working, working remotely, one of them that can actually happen is someone's Wi-Fi goes down. Mm. So someone's actually not able to do the work that was allocated for them for the day. And that's where the team can step in and support. It means everybody maybe needs to do a few extra hours, but it will be done. Uh, we, you know, we will ensure that everything is, uh, is completed. I've had situations in which the bank wasn't set up in time for the delivery of the payroll. So we're in a brand, you know, moved to a brand new country. Uh, we've got the employees. The employees have been working. We've processed their payroll for them, ready to give them their first paycheck. And we've got no method for doing it. Uh, so it's being able to work really closely with, uh, with your stakeholders, with the likes of the finance and the treasury team, and maybe your payroll vendor to come up with a last minute solution to make sure that everybody gets paid on time. And so there are last minute solutions. You were able to turn that situation around and get everybody paid on time. Yes. And I think that's probably one of the things I enjoyed most of my role is that problem solving, Mm. that being able to think about different solutions, try option A, B and C until we actually find a solution that works for us. And that problem solving in uh, because you then went on into a, a broader transformation role, though not only running, I guess, the day to day, but also finding new problems to solve. Can you can you share a little bit about your experience of leading or working on an HR transformation process? Yes, absolutely fascinating. I love it. And that's um, I've got a bit of a dual role here at Sweaty Betty as well. So this will actually be my third uh, HR payroll transformation that uh, that I'm leading and I'm involved in. I think it's fascinating because it's exciting. It's exciting to be able to get together and go, okay, how can we actually do things better? How can we be smarter with the way that we operate? And how can we ensure that we deliver our stream, streamline payroll, uh, saving time and effort and money as well? And that's, there is this fascinating balance between getting a, a robust process and clear controls that you talked about earlier on the the purity of the maths of it and the step by step and the time pressure of getting it done every month and then redesigning and reimagining that Um, and I think that's something a lot of payroll functions struggle with particularly in that step from being a single country payroll leader to going global or being a single country business that's expanding globally have you any thoughts and advice on how best to approach that because it, it is exciting to some, some, some it's terrifying in terms of going through that kind of change. So what can payroll leaders or people who are still developing in their career do now to help themselves prepare to take on those sort of challenges? I think it's staying, staying up to date as much as possible with what's going on in the payroll industry. I think that's great. There are so many webinars out there nowadays and the GPA runs and sponsors a lot of them, which actually gives you an insight into what the trends are and what other companies uh, are doing. And I always find them quite inspirational. There's always often I listen to them and a penny drops and go, oh, I could do that. So that makes me think of something that, uh, that I, could, uh, I could apply. been so much in the press recently um, about payroll, uh, about sort of fraud, or I don't know if you saw, um, there was a, a guy in um, Australia who um, won, I think, $1.1 million because he wasn't being 
um, he wasn't being supported in a new role that he'd taken on. Um, and unfortunately, he suffered from mental health issues from that. Um, and just since January, there just seems to be so much uh, information about payroll and, and potentially things that are going wrong, not necessarily positive things, even though we've had a fantastic couple of years, you know, processing payrolls and uh, making sure everything's done correctly. Is there anything that keeps you awake at night at all that you think, oh, my God, that that's one thing I don't really want to happen to us? Is there anything that you worry about at all? I think probably my biggest worry is with resources. Have I got enough people as part of the team to be able to deliver everything that's being asked by the business? Because you've got your core day-to-day BAU of getting everybody paid. But then payroll does hold so much useful data for the business that we often have a lot of ad hoc requests, whether it's supporting with audit or supporting with final accounts or, you know, or budgeting, etc. So I feel sometimes resources restraint can be quite a challenge within payroll teams. And sometimes there's almost an expectation within the payroll team that it's expected that we will work those extra hours to be able to deliver. And uh, that does concern me a little bit just around the importance of well-being and importance of that work-life balance. And I think there, there is that, you know, we, we, we talk a lot at the moment about the shortage, the staff shortage, and maybe that's bringing the, you know, the next generation in and, and trying to work out how, how we do that. Um, are you are you looking at maybe bringing the next generation in to support you? I I am indeed. So I really enjoy um, passing on my knowledge. I really enjoy uh, supporting people through their learning and uh, and development. Uh, so I'm actually looking at the possibility of uh, the payroll apprenticeship uh, and getting uh, getting somebody in place in the team. And I think that will be fantastic. Someone junior that comes in and actually gets to learn payroll, but gets supported through their learning, supported through through a course, through materials, through tutors, and also supported in the workplace as well, uh, and um, gets the time to develop and actually maybe enjoy it. I think the the apprenticeship schemes and the the routes into the profession, I think that's the structural answer to, to some of the the potential retirements coming up inside the average age of the industry, the the skill set and the profession. And I think it's something that payrollers will have to to focus on. And I also think, you know, Mel, to your point, after two years of the industry working incredibly hard under incredible pressure, um, there is a greater awareness of the, the the mental health balance and the amount of time and energy that's that's now invested in making sure that um, you know, processes are improved and it becomes easier to run payroll and that the systems are helpful rather than obstructive. Um, but there's still, to your point, Amber, you know, the Wi-Fi goes down and it's a it's a it's a ruined day in terms of the way the way we're all working today. Um, but I do think that talent aspect and, and it goes back to your experience in HR transformation. We can't assume that the next 10 years are going to look like the last 10 years in terms of the way payroll has run and and been managed and what organizations need from it. If anything, the kind of reporting and ad hoc requests you describe, Amber, we see those increasing inside businesses and the need to be able to report dynamically and at the push of the button and not have to work another two or three hours to manually run that report in Excel. I think that's another huge step forward that the industry will take over the next few years and already has gone, you know, 
some degree towards answering those with improved reporting tools and reporting and analytics. And as you mentioned, you've taken on a, a new role um, now at, uh, at Sweaty Betty. So can you tell us a little bit about that um, and what you're going to be achieving and focusing on in your new role? So I've I've taken a 12 months fixed term contract and I've got a dual role here as well. I'm liking the dual role side of it. Uh, so I'm supporting uh, the delivery of the payrolls during uh, whilst the senior payroll manager is out on maternity leave. I'm also supporting um, and leading the HR and payroll transformation. We are looking at the possibility of uh, implementing a new system, core HR system, for all of the employee data that would then feed over to the payables. So we're actually looking at our current payroll landscape uh, and ensuring that we are able to future-proof ourselves. I think one of the most exciting parts of this role is the fact that Sweaty Betty's vision and strategy for the next few years, how they wish to continue to grow. They've had considerable growth over the past two years, how they wish to consider to grow. So we need to make sure that we've got good payroll processes in place. So if the headcount increases, we can still deliver the payroll and get everybody paid. And as I think just as we look at economies returning rapid growth in, in some economies, that that focus on how to manage growth well as an organization is is coming to the fore and it's great to see a payroll function involved in in those conversations we we did some research a while back with the economist and and it showed that actually quite often payroll gets forgotten um in that process so it's great that the organization is planning ahead um and thinking about its payroll and hr transformation together uh, for that journey the same we hear that so much that payroll gets forgotten it tries to be mad you know um when we we have uh, on the odd occasion, uh, a HR director that joins the GPA um, because their background really isn't payroll, and 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 in this big project that they've got, payroll is actually forgotten about, and so there's a bit of a, a panic going on uh, where where they need to to work out how the payroll uh, side works. So um, you know, it's, it's great to hear, as you know, Graham said that Sweaty Betty having included payroll in those conversations. And another transformation project, Amber. So, um, you know, another new set of challenges to recreate something. So as you look back on, on a, you know, a successful career in, in with a global outlook in payroll, um, we're interested in leadership and, and, and how leadership is formed. And, and so, you know, obviously you had that first person who offered you the job there and then and took you by the hand and said, right, join the team. Welcome to the team. Um, who's the who's the best leader you've had the the opportunity or the pleasure of working with? And you don't necessarily need to name them, but what what was it about them that made them the best leader to work with? I think I have been blessed, and I've had a lot of really good line managers that I that have have taken me under their wing and have uh, you know spent a lot of time, invested a lot of time in my development, which has been fantastic. The one that probably springs to mind is uh, Michael that I worked with a few years ago. And I think the key takeaway from um, from working with him was that he taught me that a line manager to direct report relationship is more just than a work relationship. You can actually build, build a personal relationship as well. And I think that was really important. I came from quite a structured way of working. Uh, business, 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 and being able to actually have more of a personal um, touch to it, uh, it really stayed with me. 
And so that's something you carry forward now in how you think about line management relationships and the leader you want to be. Yes, most definitely. And the the payroll profession, um, there's been a lot of focus on things like the gender pay gap and the role of gender in, in people's workplace. Um, and Mel, we've touched on this a few times in terms of the number of, of very accomplished, very strong female leaders in payroll um, and whether they face any particular challenges in growing into those roles um, because they're women and, and whether this industry is harder for women or easier for women or whether gender is just completely doesn't matter. Um, so I'd, I'd love to get your your take on that. If there have ever been, there've ever been situations where being a woman in payroll has been more difficult um, or whether it, it, it's created opportunities for you? I'm, I'm smiling because I'm of an Italian background. <laughs> I, I've, I've been brought up with a different, very different way of, um, slightly different way of relating to, to women in uh, just in life, I think, versus maybe what you would experience in the, in the UK. So I have never once in the workplace felt that because I was a woman, I was being held back or I wasn't being listened to. At the same time, I can be very assertive and I'm very comfortable in putting my thoughts and my opinions and uh, ensuring that people take the time to listen. So then looking back, is there anything you would advise your younger self to do differently? I think at this stage of my life and my career, I wish I'd had a better understanding of the importance of work-life balance without any doubts. Um, and that's what I would probably, uh, you know, if I could go back, I would advise myself. And that's what I would say to anybody that's, you know, a junior or just embarking in a new career. It's true. If you wish to learn and develop, you need to invest your own personal time in it as well, without any doubts. But do make sure that you've got a good balance and you still get satisfaction out of your personal life as well as work. Mm. To enjoy the journey along the way. Um, because I think it's one of those industries or one of those professions that actually there will simply never be enough hours in the day because there is always more you can do. There are always areas for improvement. There are always short-term challenges. I mean, Mel, I don't know, you've, you've been in the sector longer than I have, but it does strike me from these conversations that unless you're deliberate in how you use your time to learn and how you use your time to, to, to have a life, that, that payroll can be all-consuming in the way that it works. I think one one thing I've realised over the years, and actually why the the case in Australia sort of struck a chord really, um, is that I met you know I've met many 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 strong payroll leaders you know female and male, and um, they get pushed to a point of almost like no return. You know there isn't the life the work life balance, and they work and work and work because they've got deadlines. You know there's more um, you know more uh, pressures put upon them that actually that you know it has impacted them uh, personally um so there is definitely something there about the payroll profession or professional that you know works hard and and this you know doesn't necessarily have that work-life balance um and i don't think that's changed you know over the 20 years um but i think that's you know people are passionate about their job aren't they they're passionate about getting the things correct um and and just dealing with it and so maybe if we Fast forward, let's not say 20 years because um, who knows, but let's think about how payroll might change over the next five or 10 years. So constant innovation around systems and technology, you're going through some changes in your organization at the moment where you're looking at, at the right technology to help you grow. 
new demands from the business around reporting and visibility and data, the the, the lifeblood of the organization. Um, we talked a little bit about people starting their payroll career now and how to get started. But what skills do you think are going to be essential over the next five to 10 years? Um, and actually, maybe what skills are you focused on on building Amber? Because you'll, you'll be part of that for the next five or 10 years. That's clear. So, um, you know, curious as to your thoughts on um, how the profession is going to develop. Yeah, I, well, I think, you know, your numeracy and your attention to detail, you're not going to, you, you're, those are going to be your core ones. You're, you're always going to require that. What we are seeing now as we move more and more with technology is we need to be able to understand and embrace new technology and be able to make it work for us. And probably one of the key takeaways from doing implementations and transformation projects is need to be really clear of what we want the systems to do for us in order to design them and implement them to do the work for us. So I think those are going to be the really key skills, understanding what is required and how to make these systems work for us. And that's, I mean, that's a powerful word, the the design, because I think a lot of times there's a, a, a conception that the, the system is what the system is and, and you adopt that rather than thinking through how do we optimize our process? How do we build a global payroll process start to end? And you, you touched earlier on on the finance background of being able to see the whole process and how that helps you understand the, the payroll delivery. But it is a design process. It it starts with post-it notes on the wall and, and, and bits of paper and pen and conversations. And it starts with visiting some of the sites you talked earlier about actually going out and spending time with the businesses that you're working with to, to get under the skin of the, the cultural differences. So I think that's a powerful choice of word in terms of design and the role of the payroll professional and then sort of design and build and, and execute and, and run it for, for the success of the business and to try and create some space for a work-life balance, Amber, going back to the earlier point, <laughs> and, um, you know, a well-designed global payroll system will throw you some challenges because that's what's fun and interesting about global payroll. But it should also be something that that numeracy and attention to detail allows you to run in a scaled, predictable way. So you almost predict the unpredictableness of it. So you always know something's going to come up and you, you find the space and time to deal with that. Okay, good. Well, we're, we're coming to the end of our, our, our time. It's been a, a, a fascinating conversation. I think, Amber, the, the, that assertive view you bring about how transformation is exciting, how that should develop, I expect to see you continue to do lots of interesting things in the, uh, in the industry um, and continue to um, you know, define or help redefine how global payroll works. Um, and I think hopefully this has been interesting for, for listeners, no matter where they are in their their career and their their global payroll journey. Um, but Mel, any last questions or thoughts from you? No, I, I just think it's, you know, the geek in me loves it that Amber uh, began her career in payroll because of her languages. I mean, that's fantastic, isn't it? And, you know, you had such a great education and, um, you know, that that fantastic skill set that you've got that many of us in the UK don't have the bilingual languages. Um, I think that's that's fantastic. So thank you so much for joining us today, Amber. It's been a really interesting um, discussion. And I've known you for many years and I've, I've learned some great new things about you. So thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast is made possible by ADP Global Payroll, giving you the confidence and transparency to transform global payroll into an engine for growth. Begin your journey at adp.com forward slash worldwide. 
and connect with your local global expert.